0: Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken, joined, as usual, by Lindley's own David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Feeling much better now. Good. No squeaky voice teen, no Isaac Hayes. Hopefully not. You never know. Hopefully not. Well, we've got a one-all draw to talk about. What would you know? So, I think... I've never seen a game where a game, a game of two halves applies more than Huddersfield Town 1, Swansea City 1. I think Town were really, really good first half, particularly off the ball, but also dangerous on the ball. Had all the best chances in that first half, really. And then second half... I thought they were pretty bad, especially on the ball. And uh, it was no surprise that Swansea got their equaliser. Disappointing result in the circumstances, given how good that first half was really, wasn't it, first of all? Yeah,
1: um, I I think they were pretty good. um, But they retreated a bit too far. Swansea regrouped massively at half-time. Came out, exploited a couple of areas on, on the pitch that were to be frank, town left them there to exploit and mm. yeah, complete turnaround. Game of two halves, Saint.
0: Yeah, I mean we'll start with that first half. They the goal I thought was, was merited. They had a really good start town. Their pressing right from the start was, was superb. They were hunted in numbers. They gave Swansea absolutely nothing. I thought all half there was sort of there was only one occasion. Where Swansea really had a really, really dangerous break through the press, where they got through. I think they had, Town had sort of three, four men pushing on the back line and they managed to get a, a ball through. And thankfully, Lewis O'Brien got back and made a brilliant tackle before Harry Toffalo then, then gave it away again to put Swansea back on the front foot. But um, that, that was really the only time for me that, that Swansea really got through the Town press. And, you know, Town were counter attacking really well they had a goal disallowed early on from a set piece a Jonathan Hogg header although we in the ground or at least that everyone around me thought it was uh Matty Pearson at first so that was what went in the report so apologies for that it was Jonathan Hogg um the cameraman had it right uh and then it hit Josh Garoma after Ben Hamer made a save and, and went in that was disallowed they got the goal uh, after about fifteen minutes or so, to Sanani poking in his his fourth goal of the season. A really simple finish, but Ben Hamer had already made a couple of of really excellent saves before then to to keep Town at bay uh, in the build up to that move. Save from Ward, save from from O'Brien, and Sanani finally put it in. He also made a great save from from Lewis O'Brien. Speaking of squeaky voice team there he is um that me that is not Lewis O'Brien very much the opposite of a squeaky squeaky voice uh Lewis O'Brien um no had a, a magnificent shot that that Hamer did really well to turn over the bar and then there was another break as well um really really good chance Sorba Thomas got up the right after really good work by by Danny Ward to hold it up on on halfway turn his man played in Sober Thomas Sober went up and brilliant ball across the box to lewis o'brien and unfortunately you know that not much else he could have done with that finish but unfortunately hamer throws himself in front of it takes the ball full in the face and, uh, and and keeps it out real good performance from ben hamer first of all you have to say that you know on on a on an off day or anything less than a brilliant day for the goalkeeper, Tam town would have comfortably been at least two and a up at the break
1: yeah um I think it was a bit of a Ben Hamer game in that yeah he did make a couple of really good saves but uh, everyone got the memo to pressure his kicking didn't they and uh, mm-hmm. it very nearly very nearly cost them a couple of times and it, it certainly cost them possession uh, m- on more than once but yeah the the Lewis chance I've watched it a couple of times and I know what you're saying but he does get there in reasonably good time and you sort of think just an inch either side an inch mm-hmm. either side and I I think that's that's going past Hamer if I'm honest but one of those things really and I think that um, what was really good about that O'Brien chance it specifically was it was clearly something tactically they'd worked on to break that press and, and get Sorba coming from deep and get him in the space to be able to do that and yeah it, it was all going so well at one point we were in the press room at half time talking to the examiners Mel Booth and Matt Glennon and various others and we were all very sort of you know very up on the half and all thought they deservedly 1-0 up but you know could be two could be three even in in you know you could push it that far but none of us were really expecting to 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 come out second half and it to go the way it did really we we all thought there was an easy 2-0 win there um Mm. if town wanted it but yeah didn't go that way
0: No, and and not for the first time this season. And it was you said it was, you know, after the game before when we were waiting for the presser before Carlos came out. You said that really reminded me of Coventry, and Carlos came out and said that really reminded me of Coventry. So it was it was pretty well one way traffic. They had to absorb constant pressure. Scott High came on at the break for for Sinani, and you know we'll, we'll talk about Scott High in a bit. But fair to say he he struggled, but I think there was a real i've written a piece just now just before we come on the air where i'm talking about this being a bit of a pattern this season that they have they've dropped quite a few points from from winning positions and whenever we've asked carlos Corbin about it and you know you talk about are they dropping dropping too deep or are they getting too defensive i think it's not so much that as as they just they, they lose the ability to, to counter attack in those situations, it seems like. You know, every time we have a situation like this and we ask Carlos Gorbrand what went wrong, he always says, We weren't good enough on the ball. And, you know, if you're not good enough on the ball, you're going to put yourself under pressure. And to be honest, the more I've looked into it, the more I kind of agree because they've dropped 14 points from winning positions this season. And 11 of the points they've dropped have been when Daniel Sinoni's not been on the pitch, either because he's been absent altogether or he's been substituted off or he's not yet come on. And this was another occasion where Sonani went off at the break, everything looking good, you know, counter attacking well. And, and then he goes off, and suddenly they, they don't know what to do with the ball. They're all over the place with it. And I don't think that's down to what Sonani does. I don't think he had a, a particularly, you know, he got the goal, but I don't think he had a particularly brilliant, influential display in that first half. But I think Town seemed to play, it's what the other players around him do. And I think Town seemed to play a very different way. When Tanani is on the pitch compared to when he's not on the pitch. Their defensive rec when he's on the pitch, they concede a goal, I think it's once every hundred and eight minutes, something hundred and four minutes, something like that. Uh, which is the best record of anyone in the team. And I just think they they play a different way when Tanani is there, compared to when they have other wingers on the pitch. I mean, they didn't even really have <laughs> a winger. Carlos described it after the game as having one winger and one centre forward after the break. And I just, what do you make of that, Dave? Do you, do you think
1: it is? Do you think there's something in that? Um, yeah. I, I think I wrote a piece that went up on The Examiner this morning, which was making the point that nobody else in the squad does what Donnell Sonani does. Mm. Um, and if his injury is going to be. You know, sort of medium to long term, they may have and to. We, look and we in... don't know yet. No, we, we should don't say know. That. Yeah, um, it could
0: be back at the weekend. It could be the rest of the season. We don't know.
1: They may have to look into the market because there's there there is literally nobody else in the squad of that mould, and. Like towns, towns Press is driven by that front line. That's that's one of the things that Danny Ward is, is so good at. And I think Sonani going off really threw them because they didn't have Dwayne Holmes's industry up there, which they, they sorely, sorely missed. They tried, you know, like you say, they tried players out there and it didn't really work. Nobody really had an impact. And I think that, like, I was looking at the passing stats yesterday and I made the point in the conclusions that, you know, Swansea had 819 passes to Towns 300 odd. And a couple of people said, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's it's stat padding because they're just passing it around the back. Well, the reality is they can pass it around the back because they're under no pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is what they were, that is how they were building. And... You can say they passed it round the back, but they were passing it round the back. And never, rarely did they get, sort of pump it long or just try and hit space. They were constantly finding a man, and they were picking and choosing their moments to to go forward. And you think, well, yeah, that's that's the lack of pressure. That's the lack of pressure up top. And they were so well drilled and so good at dropping a man into the 10 position there was no designated 10 there but they were just rotating a sort of a rotating cast dropping in there and that was taking Hoggy out of the game because naturally as soon as somebody Mm -hmm. drops into that space Hoggy immediately picks them up that it was leaving another gap in the middle and they were just finding men time and time again so yeah it, it made you realize how important that that front press is but Like the other thing is that I think
0: they tired as well. Yeah, that's exactly
1: what I was going to say. The the first half effort was monumental, absolutely monumental. And uh, like Coroma really uh, he came in for a little bit of criticism but I actually thought his pressing work and his defensive work first half was was really good it yeah, was actually some of the best work I've seen from him admittedly it's not what you want Josh Caroma doing predominantly You you want him in an attacking sense but yeah the effort was monumental and then so once you just keep holding the ball so well that it just tires you out, it just wears you out and not having the ball for two, three minutes, suddenly then when you do get it, there's an enormous sense of urgency to do something with it to, to make an impact in the game so that adds the pressure as well. So yeah, I, I, I think it's a whole combination of factors really but they really did miss that front line press.
0: Yeah, I mean, while while we're talking about Chroma, yeah, I saw a few people saying, "Oh, he's like a sulky teenager," or you know, he's you know, his body language is awful. I thought he was just knackered because he yeah. worked so hard. Yeah. like I don't think it was an attitude thing at all. He, you know, he,
1: he never I stopped he first half. He never stopped running no. first half. He was constantly moving, and he was, yeah, and it's a huge effort.
0: I think in other circumstances, you might have seen him, you know go off uh, a bit sooner but after they'd lost Sonani you know Dwayne Holmes wasn't there because he's uh, he's had a Covid case in his household so he was he had to isolate and you know I think they've been linked with a few wing a couple of wingers this this transfer window and we talked about it last week and we were a bit surprised when that first came out and then the more we thought about it the more we were like actually it does make a kind of sense and I think sort of being without Sinani and Holmes sort of showed the sense in that because you ended up with Lewis O'Brien started the second half right wing and then uh, after about 10 or 15 minutes Scott High ended up going out there and I think that meant that you, it made it difficult for him to, to take Karoma off because uh, I don't know how many minutes Pippa was able to play you feel like they pro- probably would have put Pippa on a bit sooner if he'd mm-hmm. been able to do that I, I don't think it was a game for Naby Saar you could have you know you could have put Sorba Thomas at left wing and moved to, to wing back but I don't think it was a game for Naby Saar all, so I don't think that was really an option. I think he would have been destroyed in that game. Mm. In truth, it was the right decision not to pick him. So I think Carlos was, a, you know, a no Aaron Row because he'd been he'd missed the Burnley game uh, again with with COVID and uh, it wasn't quite ready for this game either. So you know, that there's a real sort of dearth of options there. While I'm on the subject as well, I will just set the record right because there was a bit of a mis- miscommunication with Danny Grant um, because. Carlos told seemed to say in the press last week he'd only trained two days since playing for the B team. Uh, beginning of December was it? Uh, what he meant was that he's been training two days a week, uh, not that he'd only trained two days in total. So just just to clear that up uh, <laughs> for the record, while I think on about it. But uh, obviously that means that he's you know he's he's nowhere near the first team still. <sighs> if Sonani is injured, as you say, they really do need to look in the market, don't they? Not just for someone to fill that wing slot, but pe- perhaps looking for someone to do that that number ten role that he plays because they've only really got Holmes who is anything like Sonani in,
1: in either role they they basically they just need a threat from that side because mm. I, like I know Silva's been brilliant but he's only scored three goals this season and two of them came in one game um, they need a, a a genuine threat and I think that Sonani's role is sort of a third of a winger a, a third of a sort of inverted winger and a third of a ten It's a very complicated and difficult role really um, mm. and it, it's it's why sometimes you get frustrated cuz you feel like he's on the fringes of the game but it's it's because he's He's trying, constantly drifting into different areas, seeing if he can, can affect anything. But, yeah, there, there is nobody else who fits that mould. You know, uh, Sorba Thomas is not the same player when he plays that high and he's, he's more of a winger. So then that upsets the balance of the other two and how they play. Aaron Rowe is, is more of a wing-back, in truth. Um, he could play wide on the front three, but he's had the sort of injury where he's got to take his time. You can't just expect him to play you know even 60 minutes for five games in a row really and Pippa they're having to be similarly careful with you could try him higher but it would be a you know it would be a gamble it would be a risk so Mm. yeah it's it all hinges on really what the update is on Donnell Sinani. I would I would say you know there's a big difference between two weeks out and two months out isn't there there is yeah I mean we'll see what it brings but I just think they need... I mean,
0: I think the, the, the stat about them dropping so many points when he's not on the pitch, as I say, it's less to do with him, it's more to do with... I think it just changes the way Town play, and I think that, you know... I think about the times where they've played two out-and-out wingers uh, this season, and I don't think it's worked particularly well when they have done that. You know, I think one of the few, you know, the the occasions where they've tried it have been sort of Bournemouth and and Swansea, where you can understand why he wants to... uh, Swansea away, I should say. Where you can understand why he wants you know, Sorba Thomas up in the front three for what he can do in the press. But in reality, it's not worked because I think we've said before, Sorba Thomas is a player who wants 40 yards of space to run into and not not 10. And I think he is better at at wing back than he is on the wing. You know, he played Thomas and Caroma against Bournemouth. It was Thomas and Sonani against Swansea away. I think they'd look a lot for me. And I wrote this just before, uh, just before the turn of the new year. I can't remember which game it was in relation to. I think it might've been Bristol that Holmes and Sinani currently looks like Town's best option because you've almost got sort of two players who can drift anywhere from sort of number 10 out to the wing and will go back and forth and are constantly looking for those pockets of space you talk about and I think those have been some of Town's best performances when, when those two have, have played together not always brilliant I think they played against Coventry but I think generally speaking they've looked better that way and I think they could do with even even if Sinani's fine I think we've been saying it all season they could do with another player capable of, of doing that, that job I think
1: yeah absolutely, absolutely. but I mean that wasn't the only reason why they struggled second half. That no, wasn't the, there were there were a few different reasons, and I think Swansea did a bit of a number on them to be brutally honest with you. I think yeah. tactically they they picked picked out where the holes were. as I said, they kept dropping somebody into a certain space just to sort of tie up hog and that left a hole in midfield. I thought their overlaps were really good, and they're just so patient, you know they have no issue just staying on the ball they're all so comfortable and uh, it's that as I said I think Town fell into the trap of then as soon as they got it they felt like they had to make something happen and it all became a bit all became a bit desperate all became a bit stretched and the equaliser ended up feeling quite inevitable and you know it was a good finish I thought Downs was the best player on the pitch if I'm brutally honest I thought he was excellent him and and Grimes I thought yeah 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 and you know and the two keepers as
0: well to be fair both keepers had excellent games matty pearson had a good game as well but yeah no i think you're right i mean it was it was coming a long time um that goal and yeah town were were as good as they were first half, were really off at second half. I think it's worth saying Swansea, I thought, massively up their game. They were much more aggressive, much more attacking second half. Um, You know, you mentioned them being patient, but I think they sort of found another gear uh, after the break because obviously they had nothing to lose. They were going for it. I mean, I think it's worth qualifying something you've said repeatedly, which is they are a better team than their league position Mm. suggests. I mean, for a start, the league table is a bit of a, a liar at the moment because everyone's yeah. played different numbers of games, etc. But, I mean, I was talking to the, the Swansea reporter, uh, Ian Mitchell-Moore, before the game, a uh, good journalist, and I was asking, you know, what, uh, what's been Swansea's issue this season? And, you know, they have played fewer games than anyone else, for a start. You know, they hadn't played for over a month before in the, in the league before Saturday. But he said that, you know, they dominate games, But they give away a lot of soft goals, which Mm -hmm. sounds very familiar, sounds a lot like Huddersfield Town last season. And so I think that when you get a Swansea performance where they, as they do, dominate games and they don't give away those soft goals. And in fact, quite the opposite, they saved a couple of goals that, you know, the XG for this game for town is actually really high because all the best chances were, were theirs. And... They they didn't let them in. Basically, there were a few good saves from Hamer, as we talk about. Maybe you could say Town weren't clinical enough as well. Uh, in that first half, they really didn't create much until the last sort of ten minutes. Second half, but yeah, I think as you say, Swansea did do a number. They they played well, but it's not to let Town off the hook. I, I, I'm I'm being a bit cautious here, and I'm trying to sort of emphasise the positives a bit, to be honest, because. I'm a bit taken aback by the level of the reaction from a lot of fans uh, to this game. There's there's a lot of people treating this... I I feel like forgetting that they did have that really good first half, and we've said it before repeatedly, but I feel like if you switch those two halves, everyone sort of goes away quite happy saying, oh, they upped the game, they did well. Uh, I think it's... I understand where it comes from because they have blown a fair few points... Uh, from winning positions this season. When I've, when you look into the numbers, when you dig into it, they're not really any worse than, than most teams in the championship. You know, Middlesbrough have dropped more points, uh, a higher proportion of their points, and so have Stoke. Their own, you know, Bournemouth are not much better, uh, and neither are uh, a QPR, and they're both above town in the table. So I don't think it's as bad as it feels, but they do, I think... It's happened quite a lot because Town tend to score first, uh, for a start, as well as the tactical issues we talked about there. I mean, Carlos talked about he wanted to go. He, he realized in hindsight. He said, "I wish I'd put Jordan Rhodes on sooner and God two up top because we looked a lot better playing five three two than we did playing five four one." I think there's definitely something in that in there.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. I I'm a, I'm a. I don't know. I sort of get the reaction, if I'm honest, because of you can't watch your side be outplayed for 40 minutes of a second half, really, and not come away feeling a bit down. Home, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, particularly at home. I think you have to factor in the fact that it was a fiver for a ticket, so it was a huge crowd, biggest crowd of the season, twenty thousand and twenty thousand six hundred and something. I think that contributes to the mood because you've just got physically more people who've engaged with the whole ninety minutes, mm-hmm. and I think that there is still it it it's difficult to gauge the town fan base at the moment because there are a lot of there are a lot of moving cogs at the moment. There's there's a lot of things off the pitch. There's a lot of things on the pitch. Mm-hmm. There are people who are still quite divided over certain issues and certain players. There are still people, even, you know, Towner 7th for flying this league, there are still people who don't think Carlos Corbran should be manager. There are other people who think he should be given a eight-year contract, Pardew style. It's a weird... It's a weird feeling trying to take the temperature of the fan base at the moment. And yeah, I I was slightly taken aback that so many people were so down on this game. And I did make the the point in in the Final Whistle show that Extra Time, I always call it Final Whistle, it's called Extra Time on uh, the extra time show for the club. This is one of those results that I think three days away, you think, okay, do you know what? That wasn't a bad point. That's fine. We we move on. Whereas in the immediate aftermath, yeah, maybe you are a bit, a bit emotional about it. But I think it probably serves as a good point if I'm brutally honest with you. And yeah, yeah I... I <laughs> I understand the reaction, but yeah, I was a bit like, you. Know, I was a bit taken aback that it was quite, looking on Twitter on Saturday night, you would have thought they'd just lost 5-0 at home, you know, full of Yeah, that's star. it.
0: That, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you and I were both sitting in the press room saying, oh, that wasn't great, that was a really bad, you know, really awful second half from them. You know, and, you know, the piece I wrote was talking about how disappointing it was, how frustrating it was. And then I think you went away to do the extra time show and then you came back, having you know looked at your phone and seen the reaction and seen seen the comments people have been making, and you said to me, "I think we're going to have to sort of tone it down a bit because you know it's it's pretty pretty aggro out there. I, it's it's I don't know. It's I, I get it in in one sense in in." As you say, it is, for all the reasons you say, understandable that people would be disappointed, but as you say, it was as though people had forgotten, well, they're seventh and they're eight games unbeaten and Mm. (laughs) had the better chances in that game uh, in the first half. An element of bad luck there, you know, not to say that, you know, not to get them off the hook for that awful second half, but... I don't think it was it was nowhere near as dismal as the, as the tone might suggest on social media. Maybe it's just a case of social media, or or you know, our friends who message us who are not on social media were particularly uh, outspoken about it. But it, I don't know. It just seemed a bit a bit I, bit much to me.
1: I think it's also reflect slightly reflective of something we've talked about before. But towns don't tend to do the middle ground much themselves. You know, yeah. like we, we've talked about the sort of extremes of Carlos Corberan's management, where it's either very, very good, or we're really questioning nearly every aspect of it. We've talked about the extremes of the runs we have beat. been—they've been on. They're on another one here where they're eight unbeaten. They've been absolutely flying. They've come through sort of mentally the most, the toughest part of the season, and and take, you know had a clean sweep of points really. And yeah, it's—I think it's quite reflective of of that 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 I think. The middle ground is not an easy place to be content with, if you know what I mean, when you've had yeah. such highs and such lows over the last four or five years with, with Huddersfield Town. And I think probably... and
0: highs, let's be honest.
1: Well, yeah, and I think our job as as writers and podcasters and analysts, et cetera, we try to stay neutral and we try to stay analytical. But I think we also have to respect the fact that it's an extremely emotional thing and these are extremely emotional yeah. reactions and when you look at it you go yeah okay i i i get it yeah yeah
0: fair enough i mean one player who came in for for particular criticism was scott high who I thought had his worst game in a Huddersfield Town shirt. I don't think there's any hiding from that. We gave him three out of ten. Uh, and that's not to overlook that he made a couple of really good passes. You know, the, the two good counter-attacks that Town did have. He played great passes to get them going. But he also t- had two absolute hospital passes. And maybe one we could have forgiven as a young player with nerves. But to do do it once and then do it again. Uh you're into sort of nightmare territory there. You, you need to learn from those mistakes. He's a we've talked last week about the fact that he's quite a divisive player. You and I are both keen on him. I think other fans struggle to to see what he offers. I think people would like maybe a more physical central midfielder, perhaps someone who offers a bit more in the tackle um and someone who's a bit more robust rather than, you know, a, a, a passer. I think some of the criticism of, of him is unfair, as we've talked about. I think the people who are like, oh, he's only backwards and sideways passes are willfully overlooking the huge number of of defence splitting passes that he has played this season that have helped lead to chances and goals, including, as I say, a couple in this game. But it was it was a, a bad showing overall for him, wasn't it? it? Albeit in an unfamiliar position.
1: Yeah, um, but I, I did right in the conclusion. So I think it will serve him longer term. I think that's a performance that will live with him for a while and he, mm. he won't want to repeat. I, I also think that that was... I mean I'm trying to think of a better central midfield two I've seen play against town this season and I don't mean in terms of like long term oh they're just better players I mean a two have played better than that against town this season and I, I can't I can't think of one if I'm honest and I think to come into that at half time when Swansea have had a chance to regroup and they are going to target midfield to try and create some space and to sort of be played out of position. Um, yeah, I think he just. I think it was a little bit rubbish in the headlights at times. Yes, yeah, definitely. Like we're not. We we can't really defend that performance beyond. I think he will learn from it. You know, I think a mm. a chastening performance isn't isn't a bad thing once in a while for a young player. If I'm honest, because it often helps them long term. But the other point I made is, I think that as as town fans as town writers etc I think we've all got spoiled with the fact that Lewis O'Brien came back from Bradford absolutely fully baked and ready to go and his talent was such that he just came into the team and was essentially was just brilliant from the off and like that is that's the exception that's not the rule and I think sort of realistically high is being judged by O'Brien's standards and Mm -hmm. again I completely understand that but I I just Lewis O'Brien is the one off not Scott High here. And I think that you just have to be patient and give him a bit of time as you would with any sort of normal, usual young footballer who isn't Lewis O'Brien who just comes into the championship and just eats it up in his first season. Yeah, exactly. I mean Scott
0: High's twenty turns twenty one next month. Mm-hmm. Uh Lewis O'Brien turned twenty one uh, two months into his first season, October twenty nineteen. So, you know that they're they're roughly the same age and I think I think you're right I think people forget how you know 20 is no age in the championship these days Mm -hmm. you know for for an out for for any position so
1: he came off the back of that season at Bradford as well and the season at Bradford was a relegation season so they wouldn't they decided not to do a player of the year understandably but there was universal agreement if there had been a player of the year it would have been Lewis O'Brien so that season served him tremendously well but even then he was exceptional in that he went there and just took to it straight away you know was just great from the off that is the if only every young player was like that but they're not you know the majority need time need patience and to be frank need to learn from their own mistakes really
0: and on a more positive note Lee Nichols brilliant again uh, i thought Mike Pearson had an excellent game as well tom lees was really good uh i thought ollie turton had a couple of moments as, as he often does but he tended to make up for them uh and i thought was the right choice in that back three as opposed to, to Naby Saar for for the reasons we we've talked about i think sar just would have been passed to death in, in that game i think you needed sort of turton's mobility he also sort of Carlos does value the flexibility. He played Turton and then Swansea line up as you're not, you know, in a different shape, which they did against Southampton last week. Then you can switch to a four if you want to, um, which is, you know, quite uh, I think for Carlos, quite an important uh, trait of his. But I mean, as we said at the top of the show, it was the two goalkeepers probably were the men of the match. And Lee Nichols was, was fabulous again, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he's just, he's just consistently good isn't he he's just consistently a 7 out of 10 and that's exactly what you want yeah. in that position and um, I, I went back through the saves and I don't think there's any saves there that you wouldn't expect him to make but the difference is he makes them every single time he, he never he never makes a mistake you know he's never let town down yet and uh, yeah the, the I, I think that it's almost sort of boring to say Lee Nichols is good now but he is, he's yeah. just really good and I think it's another one where you go on a free transfer you, you've got to take your hats off to the people who identified him and, and brought him into the club.
0: Absolutely yeah I believe Paul Clements was behind that, they head a goalkeeping, Um. so yeah big praise to him and obviously working with him on the training pitch as well, Um. you just you know you're going to get a reliable performance out of him and as you say, you know I only gave him an 8 and I was tempted towards a 9 the only reason I didn't was the reason you said which is I don't think there were any saves there you wouldn't expect him to make but all of them he made, well he was great on crosses as he always is, um just just an excellent performance and I thought Lewis O'Brien had a really good game as well, you know. Uh again, and you know, we 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 talked last week about how sometimes I feel like maybe I'd take him for granted and you know I feel like he's probably the one player in that squad who if I'm doing my ratings, I'll give him a six and it's a six for Lewis O'Brien, not (laughs) a six by anyone else's standards. But I thought first half in particular he was he was so good in the press. He was really unlucky not to get a goal. Uh, He had one saved late on as well, which was, you know, I think you would have expected Hamer to make that save, to be fair. But, you know, Hamer saved from him four times uh, in that game. And probably the one criticism we've had of Lewis O'Brien over the past few years has just been, does he offer enough in the final third? But you could see, I mean, getting on, you mentioned him getting onto that, the Thomas Cross in plenty of time. He absolutely caned it up the field to get onto that ball. I don't know if you if you had your eyes on him. Um yeah. Yeah. he he absolutely caned it to get into the box for that for that delivery. And you know, I think he's having a really good spell at the moment, Lewis Bryan. And again, another one that it's it's very long, may it continue. I thought it was a, a difficult game to give the ratings for. I ended up giving a lot of sixes. Um and that was reflective of the fact that I think if I'd done it at half time I would have given a lot of sevens and eights, and if I'd done it, just based on the second half i would have given a lot of fours and fives Mm. uh so they all ended up sort of balancing out um yeah a, a weird game and and sort of does point towards obviously room for improvement they do need that killer instinct you know i was the other thing i looked at is how many times have they had a routine win and if we sort of class a routine win as they score first uh they hold on to the league throughout the game, and the balance of play suggests they deserve to win, and we can use XG to determine the last one, then they've won 11 games this season in the league, and uh, and f- only four of them have sort of been routine wins, you would call them, and that's sort of Reading, Blackpool away, uh, Hull and and Millwall are the only ones 4 nil, 3 nil, 2 nil, one nil, pleasingly. And the last of those, Millwall, was back in October. This is, as well as things are going for town, and we talk about, you know, obviously they're on that eight unbeaten in all competitions, seven in the league. There's probably been a few too many sort of dramatic (laughs) games, dramatic results. The couple of three twos, grinding out results against Forest and Blackburn and uh, this game against Swansea and Coventry as well. You know, a lot of the games have been sort of quite up and down and we said it last week but it remains true they need to be honest we've been saying it for 6 years <laughs> if we'd if we'd been doing it that long town need to get re- routine wins on the board now that's the next step for them, isn't it
1: yeah, it's killing games, that's, that's just, yeah. they they don't kill games. 2-0 at, at half-time is a very different second half. Swansea still come out and are as proactive as they are, but yeah, it's a very, very different second half, and it is it is the Huddersfield Town problem. It's It comes back to issues of sort of creativity, and that thing about, I, I know they've created a couple, of, a, a couple of really good chances, and they got their, was it their third-highest next year of the season, or second-highest next year of the season, but... It, it's that thing of creating certain types of chances rather than just loads and loads of chances, and yeah, and it's specifically
0: that, creating. Cha- they, re- I think, they're really good at creating chances when the game is level, but when they're ahead, they they just seem not to not to keep going with it.
1: Yeah, and I think that it it's what really tempers the talker sort of a, a playoff challenge, if I'm honest, over the course of the season. It's because yeah, the, the teams that are. I don't I don't like using the word but sort of serious teams are killing these games off you know at, at, when they go 1-0 up 15 minutes in they push on and get a second and it's it's a very different game from that point on so mm-hmm. that is the next big part of the Corbran project for me we've said he's a project yeah, manager sure. and we've said it with it's it's not they're not at the sort of final They're not at the final boss yet. They're not at the final stage. And that is the next big part. Because defensively, they're sorted. Defensively, they're absolutely fine. And you look at the options... as good as they need to be, certainly. Yeah. And you look at the options over the summer. You know, yeah, there's a decision on Nabisar, but they've got Romani Edmunds Green coming back. Romney Critchlow Romney has gone Critchlow, out in League, yeah. Wo, League One because he's done so well on his League Two loan. They're all right. you know. right. They've, they've got players left and right too, so they don't need to worry about that. This is the next part of the project, isn't it? This is the next thing. It's having that little bit of an X factor that just takes you to 2-0 in these games.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've had two games in the last... 15 in the league where they've scored more than one goal you know that, that and that's mm. the the two three twos and they had to come from behind to win those games yeah. so yeah I mean it's yeah I mean it's that Bristol City game must be the only time they've had a two goal lead since uh since Hull back in October mm. so yeah there's there's clearly and that's where I can understand the fans being annoyed by it because it is I guess it must feel very we've seen this before we've Brown seen this day. Yeah, we've seen this all season. Uh, They are actually playing on Groundhog Day um, this season now as well because the the game against Derby County has been moved to February the 2nd. So there you go. Just... I love a Groundhog Day reference in my pieces, as long-time readers will know, so that's uh, already circled in the calendar. But, um, no, I mean, yeah, that's obviously the next step, and I think any any ins they do make in January, and there's, as I say, we still don't know if they're going to. We know they're, they're sort of weighing up their options. I think they're almost, at the moment, I get the vibe they might be keeping their powder dry to see if there are any offers for the players they've already got, or what injuries come up. Um, mm. Because I don't think they want to sort of commit to one area and then find they needed someone else. But um, we'll see what they bring. But I think if they do bring someone in, as you say, particularly Sonani's injured, they need to. It needs to be someone that's going to help them do that and help them push on and get those those turn those you know one all draws into two nil wins.
1: Yeah, I I I think it's going to be a quiet window. If I'm honest, we'll yeah. we'll see. I I think, I think there might be an in, but I'm I'm not sure there'll be an out. I think to sort of I don't know get. And honestly, we don't know anything. I'm not linking this to anything or anything like that. But you know, if someone's coming in for Sorba Thomas they're only going to get him if they pay an amount of money that isn't impossible for Huddersfield Town to turn down. (laughs) And if if you do get that level of money as a championship club, then nobody can really argue against you taking the deal, to be frank. So I I think it's a bit of a weird window because I think COVID is playing a a big part, really, because a lot of clubs are wanting to hang on to players that I think they would have been quite happy to lose at one point we're back in that world of them worrying about their squad longer term over the rest of the season etc so I have seen think... quite a
0: few um, we could see quite a few Premier League clubs recalling players from loans as well
1: yeah so I, I don't think it's going to be like a sort of you know one of those windows where there's loads going on and we come to the final day and it's it's rumour after rumour. It just doesn't feel like that sort of window across the board to me. Never mind, we a Huddersfield Town. But we'll see. It would be, I think an inn would be good. Because I think, uh, it, more than anything, it just sort of livens the squad up a bit, doesn't it? And it gets the fans sort of engaged and everybody gets excited about a signing. That is just modern football, whether we like it or not. But I, I don't think it's going to be like, you know, four or five new names there's going to be, there's not going to be a photo of three players holding a scarf in the centre circle or anything like that. It's, it's just not going to happen. I don't think. Um,
0: Levi Col will be staying though, Talking to loan recalls, I think that the Athletic reported that 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 Leicester City wanted to take him on loan, uh, but he there was a clause in his. In his loan deal that if he played a certain number of minutes then Chelsea couldn't recall him and he's he's well past that. So uh, happy days. Levi Cole will be here for the rest of the season. He missed the game at the weekend of course. Uh, I think the plan, well I say I think, Carlos told us on Friday morning the plan was for him to, to train uh, on on Friday. And that if he got through training he would he would be able to play on Saturday against Swansea. But then, as it turned out, he he didn't make it through the warm-up. So, he's got some irritation in his knee. I think the fact that they hoped to have him back for Saturday maybe points to the fact they're not expecting it to be a bad one, but obviously the fact that he's then missed out and not made it through the warm-up, you, you don't know. And I asked Carlos, do you expect to have him back for, for the Reading trip? And he said, well, <laughs> I expected to have him for this game. So if I tell you, if I say yes, then there's a chance it turns out to be wrong, so we'll just have to see. So, yeah, a couple of uh, anxious waits there with with Will and, and Sonani. Hopefully not too bad, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll just have to, to see how they go. I mean, there's no updates on the the takeover, really. There's been some reports from the BBC about how the structure of the deal might, might work if it were to go ahead with Marcus Evans, but I can't really, you know, say either way where you know whether that's accurate whether there might be something else on the table but uh Dean Hoyle's name has come up again obviously over the weekend there was some he he wrote his program notes in his role as as interim chief exec Mark Devlin had been doing that for the past couple of months obviously now he's he's left the club this is the first home game town I've had since since Devlin left the club and uh he set a few things straight on the record by putting his side of the story forward, didn't he, Dave?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Obviously it's been a point of huge reaction from the weekend. Um, There's a lot of stuff flying around. Uh, I think it's a pretty big subject to try and clear the record in two paragraphs of some programme notes, if I'm brutally honest with you, and I'd slightly question the wisdom of that. And I think that... (sighs) We we have to be slightly careful what we say here, just from the point of view of we have a relationship with the club, we have no sort of inside information as to the any work into the deal, we're not going to sit here and say we don't believe this or we think this or we think this, because we don't know. The one thing I would say is that if you use the word administration in any sense in football, that is a loaded term. You can't mm. use that word particularly lightly. And the fact it was used is obviously going to cause the reaction that it has. You know, there's no way around that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, at the time of the the
0: Hodgkinson of the Pure administrations, the message they wanted to put out at that time was obviously, look... Don't worry, we're we're fine financially. And the reason, and we said this on the podcast we recorded on that day, the reason they are fine financially is because of Dean Hoyle. They didn't say as much in their statements at the time, um, the formal statements, but we reported on the day, I reported on the day that he had paid the October wage bill, which, you know, he's now put on the record that that was was £2 million and he's put several million in since then. um, Obviously, it's been very divisive there's been a very mixed reaction uh there's you know there's plenty of fans and Kieran Maguire as well um <laughs> fellow fellow Brighton and Hove Albion fan Dave Kieran Maguire who has you know pointed out well Hoyle has also taken out millions from the club over the past few years. Again, you could make the argument that is money he put in in the first place. That was his money. He can do with it as he pleases, can take it out as he pleases.
1: The the other comment I've seen that I think is valid, and again, I'm not offering a a particular opinion on this, but I do think it's a valid comment if you're going to write the programme notes that way, is that the way it was written was almost as if I've had to step in and put this money in, absolutely fair enough. But you were still a 25% owner. You haven't come from the outside and been drafted in... to to help out as it was the only way, you're still an owner. So there's a lot of people have said you still had a hand in it, it was still on your watch, effectively. And I I do do get that, I do get that. But I do think a lot of this comes back to something I said on last week's pod, which is running a football club is really hard. (laughs) There Mm. is uh, lots of legal ramifications, lots of legal questions and decisions that financially it's difficult... I think I can completely understand that the program notes being written in the way they were which let's be honest they were slightly inflammatory there's there's no other way to to say it really it's always going to it's going to cause people to question things and it's going to it's going to create what there has been on social media etc which is a lot of people sort of you know camping themselves on one side or the other or reading more into it or deciding that it's not actually that it's this or some bloke in the pub has sold them something else it's just a little bit more fuel onto the fire unfortunately and I don't think it's going to go out anytime soon I think as soon as we know what's happening in terms of the takeover if it is indeed a takeover or if it is investment uh, with a new structure I think until that side calms down there might be a bit more of this if I'm brutally honest with you
0: yeah I mean I can understand why at the same time having said all that if if Hoyle's side of the story is to be believed I can understand why he might feel a bit aggrieved at being given a few days notice to to you know
1: absolutely yeah go
0: and get two million quid you know and obviously there's another million
1: quid Steve it's two million quid we forget I think because we're talking about football, I think we just go, it was only two million quid. Two million quid, I've checked my bank account on more than one occasion, and I can confirm it's a lot of money, two million quid, much more than I have. And however rich you
0: are, you don't necessarily have that amount of money sitting in the bank account. No. You know, I have no idea of what Dean Hoyle's liquidity, how his assets are tied up, anything like that. You know, that is, you know, sort of way beyond my, my purview, but uh i think that you know it's it's not always easy to just go out and and bung 2 2 million quid out of your bank account at short notice and i think however rich you are <laughs> yeah it's always going to going to hurt a bit yeah exactly so i can understand why you know that being sort of his side of events why and and i'm only sort of saying that being his side of events because we haven't had on the record the other the other side of that so you know i do need to sort of to have any journalistic integrity do need to to say that but you can understand why he might be like do you know what i i i want (laughs) to i want it to be known that Mm. i did do this at short notice and had these assurances and had that trust that things were fine and then found it wasn't and had to step in short notice
1: yeah i i think the problem is the re- the reality is again like i say do not take this as a personal opinion because it's not i think probably dean hoyle was hoping it was a full stop and it's ended up mm. being a question mark for mm. quite a few people and that's that's the issue unfortunately and I just think the sooner they can get the new structure sorted, whatever that may be, whether it's Marcus Evans, whether it's someone else, whether it's investment rather than ownership, who knows, I've no idea. Just the sooner they can get that better and can go a little bit more on the record, the clearer things will be. The other thing I'd say, and we both remarked on this, Steve, is this stuff is far better said in either an interview, a filmed interview, or a sort of long form interview where he's context yeah. yeah where you can contextualize it you can sort of You don't just say a word like administration and and two sentences later. You're talking about something completely unrelated. That's that's the thing. So I also think there's a bit of that as well. And I would imagine that once this takeover slash whatever it is is sorted, we might actually get something along those lines. Not necessarily. They don't have to tell us anything at the end of the day. But I, I do wonder if there might be something like that in the future that just clarifies a few things a little bit more we'll see no idea
0: yeah it's uh i think that particularly as we're in the transfer window it's quite difficult for them to to give more details than than they have already uh you know we've we've seen before that when fans have been going well what 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 does this actually mean they've then waited until the transfer window's closed before they've then come out and given more clarity over it because obviously they've got potentially negotiations to do with other clubs and i think anything they say can sort of hurt that position i think one thing i would say uh with the hoyle stuff is that i've seen a lot of people off the back of those program notes going oh so the club have been saying that we're fine but we're using the word yeah. administration does that mean that we're not fine after all no it it means you know with Nothing of what we reported uh, on the day of of the news of the pure administrations has been altered or changes at all in light of the programme notes coming out publicly and going on the record, Um, put it that way. Uh, You know, I think the, the club's movement to come out and say we are fine financially short, medium and long term, what they weren't saying at the time was, you know, themselves was because of Dean Hoyle because Dean Hoyle is here and is willing to put the money in you and I said that mm. but not everyone reads and listens to everything you and I do weirdly Dave I don't know why they don't but, but, but yeah, you know, yeah, and we can call them that because they're not listening yeah. uh, <laughs> but but I think because the club hadn't come out and added that caveat and I can understand why they wouldn't um, but that,
1: that goes back to the point I was making that you can't use that word yeah. without it essentially detonating like a you know like a bomb in, in certain areas and I think that is what has happened and I think you have to go fair enough I mean we it, it's a difficult situation because we don't know things because these things are private matters these it's
0: with the takeover yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I mean
0: well because they're you know everything as we talked about with takeovers it's all it's all non-disclosure agreements are signed nothing can go on the record um, until things are done and there's good reasons for that we talked about it either last week or the week before but you know plans do change in football plans do change in business those are the two areas where Mm -hmm. notoriously plans can change overnight and things can hit snags things can you can think one thing's going to happen and then another thing happens and i think this is a good example as good an example of any as that I think sometimes there's times where giving fans all the information can be worse than sort of saying nothing and I think with any takeover, any negotiations, and it's not just a Huddersfield Town thing, it's it's pretty much every club, the negotiations tend to be behind closed doors and no one knows what's happening until almost... The moment it happens, you get whispers, you get, you know, who's in talks, you know what roughly what they want, but uh, you don't know the full details until it's done, particularly if there is going to be a partnership or an investment rather than a a whole takeover. I think if it were to be a a complete 100% takeover, I think maybe things might be a bit more straightforward, but there's a lot to hammer out. I think if they if there were leaks all over the place from the club, it would serve no one. It certainly wouldn't serve their purposes. Um, because, as you say, if they set up the expectation that one thing is going to happen and then another thing happens, then everyone's upset. And it's not ideal, obviously, to have fans sitting around going, well, what's happening? What's coming next? Who's going to be running the club in a month, six months, a year, whatever it might be? Uh, but it's still preferable to saying, this is what's going to happen, and then next week, plans change and then everyone's like well what is happening do you have any clue what's happening yeah
1: I the other thing I think it's probably worth saying is that it's completely understandable that Dean Hoyle wanted to go on the record in some form and address a couple of these things that's I would say that's probably the probably part of the motivation of taking that active role in the club again and making it official with the CEO CEO role Well, I mean,
0: there was there was a key line which was in that programme notes, which is I've read some suggestions. I only stepped in to secure my financial position, but that's not true. I mean, yeah.
1: So I can completely understand him wanting to go on the record and and clear some of this stuff up. I think the problem is, as I said, I keep saying it, but I think a lot of the discourse has come back to the use of a single word and. Mm. I think you probably, if you're on town side of things and you're on Dean Hoyle side of things, I think you probably have to accept that because, like I said, you can't use that word without it being an incredibly loaded term. You can't yeah. use it lightly or in passing. So it is what it is. I think everybody just moves on. And here's hoping the Derby programme notes are just about pedal for pounds
0: yeah it's worth mentioning pedal for pounds to mm. be fair
1: was it uh the Bristol City home game they're sort of targeting for that
0: that yeah, I think it's at the first weekend in May um It'd be the last game of the season, in fact, wouldn't it? So, yes, good um, that it's back. I would suggest. Well, good that it's back. Hopefully, not the last game of the season, but you know, the last <laughs> yeah. last game of the regular season. No, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. It's raised hundreds of thousands, hasn't it, over the years? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I think if you're if you're looking at getting involved, and obviously now that now's the time to get training. Lots of details still to be uh, confirmed. Obviously, that's still a tentative date for now, and these things can change, as we know from the past two years in general uh but i think they're sort of trying to give people notice as much as they can there yeah. so that people can can get on the bikes and start yeah. training for it and uh yeah c- congratulations and bravo to you congratulations is the wrong word but bravo to you hats off to you if you are going to be one of the people looking at taking part of that reading at the weekend my least favorite away trip of the season mm-hmm. um <laughs> mm-hmm. Just for logistical reasons. I don't our seats in the press box are dreadful. Uh it's as far as you can go without it being an overnight trip. Uh I, I don't t I, I nearly got locked in the stadium a couple of seasons ago, uh and had to pound on a door to be let out. Don't enjoy going to Reading. Uh but <laughs> nonetheless, very winnable game for Dusseltown.
1: Yeah, it is. Reading are, are pretty pretty rotten all in. Um yeah. and I think we I think we were <sighs> Before the start of the season, we were tipping the Mappers. They they could be in trouble. I think there's a few chickens come home to roost there. You Town need to win their home games and draw their away games. They've got to do it the other way round this time. But yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's a very very winnable fixture. And they've also just they're coming off the back of a right sucker blow as well. You know, losing in the 95th minute to Middlesbrough. Mm. Yeah, it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think as you say, a rare away game where you where you target a win. I think yeah, less than a win there will be will be pretty disappointed to be honest. And interesting the way the fixture list is shaped out because you know they've got. I think that's the first of five home games in inside a month the Swansea game was, um, if you include the Cup game. Uh, so they've got quite a few home games coming uptown. So, you know, it really is a chance to keep the momentum going, get points on the board. Hopefully they can sort out some of those those issues we talked about uh, on and off the pitch. We'll see you next time. Get on ExaminerLive.co.uk for all your updates. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.